All right, so we are starting a series, which is uh, a vision series, I guess. This is just sort of a a walkthrough of some concepts that uh, I began to put together before even moving to Clearwater and thinking about what, how it is you formulate what it is to be a church. And this is an exercise that, you know, pretty much any church planter or any person leading a church or, or coming into a pastorate needs to be able to do, uh, needs to be able to look at the scripture and say, what is God's specific calling to us as a people and, and the people that God would bring together in this community for the glory of his kingdom? And so you get, you know, from church to church, you get all sorts of slogans and sayings and, and things that are uh, one person's or a group of people's interpretation of what does it mean to be a body of believers. And so this isn't like uh, the statement that all churches should have. This is just how God has spoken to me about what the church is to be and, and the way I understand it. And, and uh, so, sorry, you're stuck with me. So if you don't like this one, well, you can give me some feedback. That'd be nice. But, uh, but, um, but you know, Sam and I have also talked through this some and, and just sort of honed in on what, is it, what does it mean for Restoration Church to be Restoration Church? Uh, and this is what uh, we've got. We're a community of people restored to relationship with God through Jesus Christ, going together to share God's love with Clearwater and the world. And obviously with one statement like that that's been crafted over time and, and put a lot of thought into, there are components of this that we need to dissect. And there's two major components. The first is this, that a church, any church that's following Jesus Christ, is a community of people restored to relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's a definition that could be used of any church in any place on that whole map over there, right? I get to point to a map these days now, so... Got, we've even got a place to point where our where, where country we're praying for. This is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Um, so we're a community of people restored to relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That should define any church that is looking at the Bible and saying, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus is the one I am following. Jesus is the one that has brought me back into relationship with my Father, who has, has, has crossed the divide that was there between me and Father God. That's the definition of any church right there. It's a community of people restored to relationship with God through Jesus. The second component is particular, right? It's a, a little more specific to our situation. So we're, we're a church. We're a community of people restored through Jesus Christ. But for us in particular, we are going together to share God's love with clear water and the world. That's the specific call to us to, as a people, be journeying together as we go through the streets of Clearwater, as we go to our various jobs, as we interact with our families, and even as God calls us to go in, in either tangible or intangible ways to the nations. For Restoration Church, we, we conceive of our role in the kingdom of God and its advancement as going together. This isn't one pioneer's journey. Uh, This isn't us individually doing things on our own and just advancing the kingdom just on our own, separate of any other community. No, we're a community of believers that has found their hope and life in Jesus. And we've been called to go. And we've been called to go together. And so over the next uh, few weeks, 
we're going to be going through uh, some various concepts of this. The first being today that we're going to look at the fact that God is a going God. He hadn't just called us to go, but he has gone himself. And so we'll see that in detail today. And next week we'll look at how we then are a going people that serve him. And over the coming weeks beyond that, we'll see how as a community of people restored through Jesus, we, we learn together, we live together, we celebrate together, we pray together, we serve together. And there's probably a host of other things you could put beyond that that, that show what we do together as, as a group of people that believe in Jesus. So today, again, we're going to start this, uh, this series by, by talking about the going God we believe in. We're going to look at, in particular, we're going to use uh, the Great Commission as our starting off point for this, and, um, and we'll have a particular focus in the Great Commission, and we'll probably come back to the Great Commission uh, next week as we look at being a going people, but today I want to focus on uh, the fact that God is a going God from this statement. So before Jesus ascends and, his, uh, and he gathers his disciples at Galilee and he speaks some words to them and they're found in Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 to 20 and no doubt they may be familiar to some of you. So Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 to 20 says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." The basic statement here in this commission is for them to go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach in the name of Jesus. And in the midst of this, what I, what I want to focus on, well, a couple things. Um, I find it interesting that the disciples come, and these are the disciples that have been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. And here at the end, they have seen him die on a cross and rise from the dead, okay? And now they're meeting him at a place where they told him beforehand that they ought to meet him after he rises from the dead. And some of these 11 are coming up and they're doubting. Some of them worship and some of them are doubting. There are a number of interpretations of that, but uh, it should be noted that some of them were still trying to wrap their minds around the fact that this man that they had seen do ministry for three years who was dead on a cross is now standing before them. And they're saying, like, pinch me? Like, is this real? You know, like, what's happening? Um, you know, I think sometimes we look at this and we're like, oh my gosh, they doubted. Like, maybe there's some serious thing there. And it's really like, I think it's as simple as, listen, if you'd just seen a guy die on a cross and he was then standing before you now and starting to talk to you, you might be like, uh, what's going on? Especially if that's happened in the span of three days. You might be questioning your very reality at that point. (laughs) You're like, is the ground going to swallow me right now? Am I just going to be sucked into the vacuum of the firmament we just talked about this morning? Um, You know, it would have been rocking you 
And so some of them, as they're looking at this, they're even doubting. And I love that the Bible is honest enough to say, these 11 disciples come, and here's Jesus. Some of them fall down and worship, and some of them are like, is this real? Like, is this real life? Um, so, so that's one thing. Um, but the other thing I want to focus on through, through really our whole time is one, one command of this text, which is uh, just part of what he has said to the disciples. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says to teach them everything, I have, uh, everything that I have, uh, teach them to observe everything that I have told you. But he also says this statement in, um, in verse, uh, I guess it's verse 19. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the only places, I think it's the only place where all three are mentioned in such close proximity. His, his call to the disciples is that your baptizing of these disciples that you are making ought to be in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, all three. Not just, just in the name of the Father, not just in the name of Jesus, not just in the name of the Holy Spirit. We talked about some at Bible study on Tuesday about how you can fall into some ditches of faith if you just baptize in one of the names and not the other two, if you just baptize in the name of the Spirit, you might find yourself uh, just caught up in experience. If you just baptize your name in self, you're, if you just baptize people in the name of Jesus, you might be caught up in the fact that he's saved you for, for eternity, but you might realize that he has empowered you for life on earth right now. If you just baptize in the name of the Father, you might be seeing Jesus as just some example that has done something for you. You don't get the full picture. And so he says, baptize in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. See, there's this concept that that is not just shown in in this passage, but uh, really seen throughout the biblical text of God as three in one person, uh, the Trinity. And and people come up with all sorts of ideas and ways to try and wrap your mind logically around that. But I'll tell you right now, you can't. Every little example breaks down somehow. People, the classic one is water, right? Well, water has three properties, and actually four, so that kind of breaks down automatically because you've got a liquid form, you've got a gas form, you've got a solid form, ice, and you've also got, like, plasma. So the fourth one just kind of throws it in there, so it breaks, the, breaks it down. But that was the concept right here, or, or an egg is one. You know, there's all sorts of different concepts that people say, this is how we understand the Trinity. It's, it's the same essence of one thing, but it's three different properties in some, some way. So I came up with a superior illustration, um, and I left part of it in the kids' room. So I'm just going to explain it to you. So some of you know that I like basketball. Anybody know that? I do. I like all college. I actually all, I like all sports, and you know, I would even watch NASCAR. If it came down to it, nothing on, I'd take a nap, watch NASCAR. It'd be just fine with me. Uh, haven't done that in a while. Anyway, uh, so in basketball, right, what's the goal? The goal is the goal. <laughs> uh, the goal is to put the ball in the hoop, right? That's the, that's the goal. You take the ball, you put it in the hoop. That's the goal, right? And so I was thinking about this and, and how, how the Trinity works in this and, and, and how I was thinking about how we were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this understanding came to me of like, when God works and moves in the world, he does it in simultaneous action with his three persons. 
God the Father is moving, God the Son is moving, and God the Holy Spirit is moving. And what we're going to see today is that every component of that is a going God. Like, God is going as the Father, He's going as the Son, He's going as the Holy Spirit. They're doing it together in perfect unity. So while at some passages we might have an emphasis on what Jesus is doing in that moment, or what the Spirit is doing in that moment, or what the Father is doing in that moment, they're collaborating. They're in perfect unity. And so, um, get back to the basketball illustration, right? So when you shoot a basket, what happens is you've got the ball in your hand, right? And you see the goal over there. You've got vision to see the goal. That's one aspect that's happening. Second aspect is kinetic. You've got the ball, and you're going to actually physically move and put, try and put that ball into the hoop, right? So that's kinetic, right? Um, you've also got, what's the other thing I had? <laughs> uh, intention, right? Intention. Your desire is to put it in the hoop. So I have a desire to put it in the hoop. I see where the hoop is, and I physically try and make the ball into the hoop, right? Three things that are happening. And if you are really good at basketball, you do not even know that. You don't even think about that. That's just happening all simultaneously. All simultaneously, in one action, you have an intention, a vision, an emotion that are occurring at once, and you make it, right? Every single time. At least I do. See, if I would have had my illustration, I could have demonstrated that, but, you know, I, I just left in the kids' room, so sorry. Sorry about that. Um, but I think that's a picture, and again, it'll break down. You can probably pick it apart in, you know, in five minutes, maybe you can pick it apart. But for me, I saw that and thought, that's exactly how God works. And you can have any sorts of, uh, sort of idea uh, that demonstrates an intention and a vision and emotion that incorporates that. And that's how God moves. He's moving in perfect unison, an exact intention, an exact vision of what is going to happen, and an exact action of that vision and intention happening simultaneously, complete unity of it. And so we like to try and pull apart the Godhead and try and say, well, this part focuses like this, and this part is like this, and the Father sent the Son, and the Son sent the Spirit. And I'm telling you, they're exactly equal. None of them are greater than the other. They are all divine. The Holy Spirit isn't lesser than Jesus, and Jesus isn't lesser than the Father, and the Father isn't more than Jesus, and the Father isn't more than the Spirit. They're exactly unified. And so while we see them as, as the Father sending the Son and the Son sending the Spirit, they're in complete unity in what they're doing. We'll see a little bit as we go and sort of, again, step back and then pick apart these pieces and see how God is going and how Jesus is going and how the Holy Spirit is going. First, in in this passage, Jesus says of himself, he says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. See, if you take that concept and say, well, isn't God, isn't he above all things? Well, actually, the Bible says Jesus is above all things. It is that Jesus is the holder of the universe. So they're, again, in complete unity in their authority and in their intention and their vision. They're all in complete unity. Jesus saying, I've got all authority in heaven and earth similar to God. And not just similar, exactly like God. And at the end of the passage, he says, he says I will be with you to the end of the age. Did Jesus stay physically with the disciples? No. 
He went up. So how was Jesus with us? He was with us through the Spirit, right? They're, they're in complete unity. So Jesus can come give this command and say, I have all authority, and this is what I'm telling you to do, and I'm going to be with you. He can say that honestly because he's in complete unity with the Spirit and with the Father. They're completely unified. And yet Christ is telling us this explicitly from human lips. Another concept that, that cannot be reconciled. Fully God and fully man. You can't logically figure it out. It's, it's biblical. It is what the Bible testifies to, but we don't have a category for 200% of a person. <laughs> we only have 100%. We would split it 50-50. and say, well, he's part God and part man, so maybe he can fail because he's man. But no, he's 100% God and he's 100% man. Can't reconcile it. <clears throat> All right, so what we see in this passage, I want to focus on the rest of our time together, is that the God is a going God. That God didn't just, uh, you know, give us a, a you know a task to do and say, "Okay, guys, just uh, you take care of that for me." All right? No, He's with us all the time. He's been with us from the beginning, and He demonstrates His with usness. That's a good word uh, in Jesus. So first, God is going. We've seen God the Father is going. And you're going to hate me because we saw it all through Hebrews 11, right? Sorry, I referenced Hebrews. Uh, We see it a number of ways, though. We see it in the very description of creation. If you go back and look at the description of creation, I was looking at creation some this week and just thinking about how God created the world and how he was, you know, preparing it for us in ways and and just sort of looking at the verbs and the, the things that he says about creation and what creation is supposed to be doing. And if you do that, the words are sort of powerful to think about, like seed, yielding, fruit, uh, yielding seed, right? The, the ground is to yield seed, and it, it's to bear fruit. It's to be multiplying and swarming and expansive. God is like exploding things onto the earth. It's not just like, oh, I'm just going to put a few things here and a few things there. No, the, the, the water is swarming with uh, creatures, and, and the earth is bearing fruit and yielding seed. And in creation, he's doing all these amazing things and creating the expanse of the sky and, and creating the heavens and the stars and the sun and the moon. And then at the end of it, he says, you guys, take care of this for me. Genesis 1.28, on the seventh day, he has created man, or on the sixth day, he's creating man, and his command to them is this, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the swarming fish of the sea that fill up the whole thing, uh, and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You are to have dominion over those things. And we should know that dominion here isn't to uh, rule with disrespect. It's not you are to be dictators over these things. It's that you are responsible. You are stewards. You are to care for. And we can talk for a long time about how we aren't very good at that. (laughs) 
but in the very description of creation. He creates this beautiful, budding, and swarming planet and even universe. And he says, you guys, steward this. Steward this. And you know, what man sees when he looks at the heavens is that we can't do it on our own. Like, I can't control the stars. I can't control the sun. I can't control the way the water moves. When you're given that task, if you are to steward this earth, you realize very quickly that you are not doing it alone. That you are working with the Creator to take care of this earth. He makes us stewards of creation. He gives us the responsibility to work with Him. He has come to us and given this to us, and we are walking with Him. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see that we saw over and over again that God is a going God, a God that has come to us. God shows up in our lives. We saw God walking with Enoch. We saw God speaking to Noah. We saw God making a covenant with Abraham. We saw God protecting Rahab. He didn't just set this thing spinning and say, okay, guys, good luck. He put it in motion, and he's been with it from every step along the way. He's gone with us. He's been there at every turn. He's been there when we cry out to him and say, God, I need you. Can you imagine again being Rahab and the walls are about to fall down all around you and you're saying, my hope is in these two guys that are tiny and they said they're going to take over. She's trusting in God. She's not trusting in those two guys. They're pipsqueaks compared to these people. Say, I trust in your Lord because I know what your Lord has done through you. God has gone to his people and is going to his people. And God doesn't just go to a particular people. You know, the story in the Old Testament is of God choosing Israel and, and bringing up Israel and, and, and showing them the promised land and giving them gifts. And you know what the reason for that is? The reason for that is for all people to see the glory and majesty of God, not just Israel. It never has been about just Israel. When they came out of Egypt, a great multitude came with them because they said, yeah, I believe you. I saw those nine plagues. I'm going to put blood over my doors, and I'm going to go with you when you leave. They were able to come in, and, and when someone came in from outside of Israel, there was a tribe designated for them, the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is the tribe of the Gentiles. Whenever someone would come and associate with Israel, they're lumped in with the tribe of Judah, which is interesting because the blessing to the nations comes through the line of Judah and Jesus. God's desire has been for the nations from the beginning. Psalm 67 says this, After the first verse, it says Selah, and that's a cause for us to pause. And so as I read it, I haven't lost my place. I'm just going to pause, okay? It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So that our name would be great? So that we'd be the best people? So we'd be, we'd be awesome? No. So that your way may be known on the earth. These people were chosen so that God's way would be seen in a people, that God's going would be seen in a people. 
that your way would be known on the earth, that your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. What's the reason he chose Israel and brought them out of Egypt and became a nation and gave them a land? Why is he doing that? Just to pick a favorite? No. That the nations would see the mighty hand of God at work through the earth. That as Israel comes into the land and they don't use one single sword, but the walls just fall down before them, the nations say, your God is God. Israel was chosen in particular, but God has always been after, going after the hearts of all humankind. Our God is a going God. Jesus is going. God is going. Jesus is going. No clearer picture of that is our celebration over the past couple weeks of Good Friday and of Easter. But in Jesus, we see four things happen, and there's probably more, but, you know, these are the four that, that hit me hardest. And the first is his incarnation. Luke, 8, Luke 2, 8 to 12, the shepherds are in the flocks. Jesus has just been born in a manger in Bethlehem. And in the same region, it says, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. <laughs> Love that, right? Angel appears out of the sky, bursts on the scene. Don't be afraid. I've just appeared before you with huge wings and probably like some swords and craziness. But don't be afraid. It's all good. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Jesus is a going God. He didn't just stay up on his throne in heaven. He came to us. He never left his people, but in Jesus he came as one of his people to save his people. God has always been with us and he's always going with us. In Jesus, we see this unity with the Father in his obedience to the Father. John five nineteen to 20, which says this, And Jesus says to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel." Jesus, in perfect obedience, walked, and as he saw the Father doing something, he did something that the Father did. His sacrifice, he gave his life that we would be restored, 
We see Jesus going in his incarnation, his obedience, his sacrifice on the cross, and finally his victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus. Jesus came as one of us He was obedient to the Father. He gave himself on a cross, and he secured victory for us that we might be restored with God. Jesus is going. He was always about going from the foundation of the earth. He was in it. He was committed to it. As soon as Adam fell, he knew. He knew the cost. As soon as the tree was planted in the garden, he knew the cost. He said, this is the cost of giving them an opportunity to follow me, is that when they don't, I will give myself for them. And he did it. And he defeated death in the grave, and death is swallowed up in his victory. God has been a going God. God came to us in Jesus, and as our passage today says, he will be with us to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is going with us. Jesus says he's going with us, but the question for us is how? How do we see the Holy Spirit going? And there's a few ways. First, we see that after Jesus ascends, uh, he'd spent 40 days with them, and for 10 days... They have no idea how to implement this command. This uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. They have no clue. <laughs> like, okay, Jesus, there you go. Now what? They have no idea. And when he ascends, we see in Acts 1, an angel says to him, go and wait because the Spirit is going to come to you. And so 10 days later, after Jesus says, has ascended, again, I can't imagine being in that room and thinking, okay, like there goes a day, there goes another day, there goes another day, like what are we waiting for? What's happening? And the Spirit falls on Pentecost. And these believers who had no clue what they were going to do start speaking languages they had no idea of. And the people outside their doors start understanding the words that they're saying and say, these guys are drunk because they're, you know, going so crazy. But what's happening is those people are hearing the gospel and responding to it, and thousands come to faith. The Holy Spirit empowers us for the mission God has given us. God has said to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach them. And I am with you. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going with us in everything he calls us to do. In our work, in our family, in our friends, everything. In the missions he calls us to accomplish, he is with us. He doesn't just send us out there on a lead and say, good luck, buddy. (laughs) I hope you make it. He says, no, I am with you. And just like Peter, as he's walking on the water, right? He says, okay, Peter, come out. 
come out on the water to me. You know this story, the, the, uh, the waves are crashing and it's a violent storm and Jesus is walking across the sea and he's like, what is going on? The disciples are watching him walk across the sea and they call out to him and Jesus is like, all right, come on out. Peter starts walking. Jesus is with him the whole time until Peter gets scared and looks around and says, oh, you know, and he starts falling. God is with us, okay? We got to keep our eyes on him. We got to keep our eyes on him and know that he is with us. The moment we start trying to take control of it ourselves and trying to fix it on our own, we fall down in the water. We fall on our faces, trip ourselves up, get frustrated, stub our toe, all these sorts of things. When we keep our eyes on him, he's got us. He's faithful. He upholds the universe. He can surely hold our feet above the water. His Holy Spirit is going with us. It empowers us for mission. His Holy Spirit equips us to serve. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And that chapter goes on to list a number of gifts that are given to his people. Why? For the glory of his name, that we would serve one another, that we would serve the, the place that he's called us to be serving. He equips us each uniquely for the mission. He doesn't equip one person with every gift. That's the beauty of how he has empowered us. He he hadn't given one person all the ability. He's spread it among a community of people that's been restored to go together in this mission. Holy Spirit equips his disciples to serve together. Finally, Holy Spirit brings conviction to our hearts. In, uh, in John 16, we see him portrayed as the one who brings conviction. And in Galatians 5, we see him as uh, a contrast of what it is to walk by the flesh and what it is to walk by the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit is very clear. And, and the Spirit is in us, and he tells us, as I say these things to you, as you read this passage, your Spirit is going to rejoice in these words because your Spirit is going to say, that is how I ought to be. That's not how I often am. And the difference between those two realities, the the not how I am and how I ought to be, is the Spirit's conviction saying, this is what you can be in Jesus. You can be like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. See, that list of things that the Spirit does in us, the fruits of it, they're attainable for anybody. You don't have to be wealthy to increase in knowledge in order so that you can gain those things. You can be completely dirt poor and striving to follow God. And you know what? You can fulfill this list in the Spirit. You can be full of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
it doesn't take an increase of knowledge. It takes a dependence on the Spirit who has come to your very presence when you've trusted in Christ Jesus. This is the God we serve, a God who hasn't just set things in motion to spin on their own, but that has created all things and then participates in all things and then empowers us to participate with him in all things. So we go with this thing, these things, that that God has always been on the move. Since the very beginning of motion itself, he's been moving. We go with this, he... He's chasing after the hearts of those who do not know him through the advance of his church. The methodology of people coming to uh, be part of a community restored relationship through God or with God through Jesus Christ is that churches, communities of people go to the ends of the earth, to every segment of that map. People, a community of people have, has a heart for a, an area or a place that God has called them to go. You know how people are restored? They come through the advance of his church. The church laying its life down that others would know that Jesus has laid his life down for them. That God has been a God and always is a God and always will be a God that cares for and pursues their hearts. God has been chasing after the hearts who don't know him through the advance of his church. We go with this, that God has taken up residence in the hearts of those who called on Jesus for salvation. He is with us. He's with you. Everything that you are doing. You know, when I sit back here and do accounting, you know what? You know my motivation for doing accounting? It's God is with me. He's with me in that. He, he desires me to do that and to do it to the very best of my ability. You're roofing now, right? God's call is to roof to the best of your ability. God's call is to make the best little things you possibly can. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> God's call is to perfectly retract, what, what's, the, what's the word? Refract, that's it. To perfectly refract people's eyes. God's call is to give you perfect advice on how people should insure themselves. God calls to train those kids up the way they ought to go, to show them the love of God, to show your kids how they ought to follow Jesus. Show your kids what it is to be a mom, to be a loving wife. His call on you is to follow him in everything you do. The call isn't just to a pastor, Right? God has taken up residence in all of us. He's given all of us a mission that we would be a community of people going together. Not just one person trying to do some great work. It's not about that. It's about God advancing his church. And for us in particular, that's Clearwater, Florida. And all that comes with it. God has taken up residence in us and he has called us to this particular place at a particular time for a particular reason. And Acts tells us that reason is that men and women ought to call on the name of the Lord and know that they can be saved. It's his purpose. Sometimes I wonder, especially this past year, 
you know, I, I relate with these disciples as they come before Jesus and they're like, is that you? You really, really doing this? You know, you're really going to see this through? This is really going to happen? I would be lying if I didn't say I have doubts at times over a year and a half of construction, you know? And I wonder. But God has us each here for a reason. Not just random occurrence that we've shown up today. Not just random occurrence that we've been here over a period of time. But God is formulating and knitting together a community of people that's been restored to God through Jesus, going together, that people in Clearwater and people in the world would see the saving power and might of a loving God in heaven. God is a going God. And God is going with us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness and your mercy. We thank you that you see fit to use imperfect vessels, vessels that even uh, come before you as you have risen from the dead in doubt, in wonder what's going to happen, and in fear, And all the human emotions that we experience on a day-to-day basis, we, we struggle with this every moment. But God, we know that you have conquered the grave. That you have swallowed up death's hold on us in your victory. And that there is no circumstance and no situation that can overtake the hope that you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray that your face would shine upon us, that you would bless us, not that we would be blessed, not that we would be comforted, not that we would be happy in the world's eyes, no, Lord, but rather that the nations would be glad, that the nations would see a faithful God who cares for his people, sustains them, empowers them, guides them, directs them. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.